internets. Welcome to a new episode of The Light. I'm Scott Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by the extremely unpredictable Detron Edwards and the mythical John L. Fellas, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up, Scott? What's up? Who's that? Oh, who's this, man? Here oh, we go. man. Y'all know me, man. It's Sugarfoot. Oh. You know it. I was in the movie The Mac, man. You know, that was the one that the man said, go down the street and get Sugarfoot for me. That was me, man. I pimp nothing but Chinese women. That's what I do. I, cause, cause that's the only language I really know how to pimp it. Oh man. I come up to them and I tell them in a heartbeat, need y'all show me so They answer back. Watch out, whatever their name is. And after that, I got them, baby. Mm. I got them. So. I let them know. So what relation are you to Ditchman? I mean, last week, who was it, John, last week? I think it was, I think it was, I think it was cousin, uh, was it cousin Damon with a W or was it cousin uh, John, John Lee's, John L's, yeah. John Leasy? Yeah, something like that. How are you related yeah. to Yeah. I'm just a family friend. I ain't related to the brother at all. He lost, uh, he lost a couple minutes to me in the dice game. That's what happened. Uh-huh. And I told him, I could I put one of my girls on the line? I said, listen, you could have her if you win. And if I win, I get a couple minutes on your show. All right, so. So he lost, he lost, you know, and now I'm on the show. Like I said, any girls out there in holla back at your boy of the Chinese. <laughs> so wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> hey, John. We're not that type of show. Yeah. Wait a minute. I was about to say, wait is, is he really advertising his, his service wait a on wait our a show right wait now? A hey, listen, let me, let me, let me explain to y'all, like I said. <laughs> I am a pimp. Alright, like I said, when I walk up to the woman, I have to ask her, need y'all shaming sir? She answers back. Like say her name is Becky. I say, need y'all shaming sir? She answers back, War y'all Becky. She know what's happening. And they get in the car. And off to the store we go. See, I give them that yak. That get them. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Y'all get some yak things. Wait, 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 wait. What's the problem, boy? Did he tell you what type of show this is? Man, hip-hop is big in China. You don't know that? Hip-hop is big. I got some girls to work the corner, and they dress all in the the Adidas suits. I'm telling you, hip-hop's big in China. I tell them right now, go on out there and make that money and bring it back. I tell you, give them some of that yak penis. Then sit up there and do anything you want. That's the way you do it. See, y'all young boys don't know nothing about pimping. See, that's, that's, that's the problem. Y'all got to get back out there and learn your pimping, but, you know, I can't tell you about it because the game is to be sold and not told. You got to learn that. All right, now, I got I got to get on, get up on out of here. Now, I see, I, I got to go by that. I done ordered me some ribs and some um, some pig feet and some shrimp fried rice. And I'm going to try and knock that broad off this at the cash register and make sure she come on my team. That way I don't have to pay for no more food there. You know what I'm saying? There, you know, we're going to go enter her drag. So we're going to go see what's happening over there. I'm going to play the game of death with her for sure tonight. But uh, y'all have a good one and uh, y'all take it easy, all right? Uh, hey. Man, these fuck. Get out! Make me sick. That's all, right, man. Every week with I, you, man. Every week. I, man, listen, I, it ain't my fault. I thought I think, listen, I think the dice was loaded. He cheated. 
she's sitting up there. She she's showing me a chest. I look down. All of a sudden, you talking about you lost? You lost? I'm like, what? Man. So he got a couple minutes on the show. He trying to he trying to get his pimp game up because you know he done lost about three four. But he up here talking about yak private parts and all that, man. Come on, right, that. man. He's talking about like mixing something up. He's talking about <laughs> doing stuff, making people woozy, man. What is he talking about? <laughs> man, don't nobody pay attention to him. He walk around with one pony sneaker on, and then he walk around with a high heel boot <laughs> on the other. Nobody <laughs> listen. <to him. laughs> he said one pony sneaker. Yeah, you still got, how the hell are you gonna wear Swedish knits and a leather jacket in the summertime? That's what he be walking around the street with gold chains on, no shirt, and walk around just like that right there. Wait. Always yelling at the girls. Did you say Swedish knits? Yeah, Swedish so you know the kind. Yeah, yeah. They open, they open up on the side, and it's a different color down the, the seam on the side. Yeah, Swedish knits. That's him. <laughs> he got one of them cowboy belt belt buckles, no shirt. Mm-hmm. A long leather trench and a hat, mm-hmm. and it ain't even a pimp hat. It's one of them mesh baseball caps. <laughs> he be walking around the street like he believes on something. <laughs> well, it sounds like I mean, you know, he I mean, it sounds like he got something going on. I don't know what it is, but it sounds like he got something going on. You would think though he wouldn't get a mesh hat, he because he got you know he got he got that ring around his head. Mm-hmm. That's that kind of hairstyle you got when you ain't got nothing but is that George Jefferson? Mm-hmm. And he got it, he got his curls to hang down the back of his neck, but then he had that hat on over that. I'm telling you, man, and yo, I'm, the language he was speaking, he does know Chinese. I give him that. He does speak Chinese, fluent Chinese. I don't know what he was talking about. That wasn't no damn Chinese. I know that. <laughs> No, that was Chinese. That was fluent. He speaks fluent Chinese. No, no lie. Hey, Scott. What's up? I think it's about time that we start uh, putting out a disclaimer. Yeah. That any comments made by Detron's <laughs> family and or friends and or people he has he has lost wagers to yeah. are not the necessarily shared by the views of the Light Podcast. You know what? I'm gonna definitely do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it real. I'm gonna say it real low and fast too. <laughs> right. You right. We have to put a disclaimer out for you, that Golly. I could have told him we could have a slapping contest, but he don't never put lotion on his knuckles. So that's that way too <laughs> He could cut you and brush your hair at the same time. It is not going well if he hit you. Listen, he, that's the type of person slap skin off. <laughs> so what's been up there? What's been up, man? I know you. Uh, I know there's a big show coming up for you in November. You ready for that? Yep. November 29th. Yeah, yeah. I actually just did uh, my class reunion. Uh, this past weekend, they actually had me come out and do jokes in my class reunion. Um, that didn't go so well because, I mean, my, joke, my jokes were funny. My jokes were funny, and, and, and I had to actually do some, some of the worst things. This is how you know you really got a comedy hustle. They didn't have a mic, so I had to try and yell over the crowd, and everybody got quiet to hear some of my jokes, but it was just like too much yelling for me, a guy with a deep voice. So I ended up getting my hustle on walking around to all of my classmates in that bar and actually telling them jokes or making them laugh as I walked around the whole spot and made them enjoy their night that much better and you know I had a lot of them become fans of the show now and become fans of mine saying they're coming to see me and the uh, the next show I got going on uh, is November 29th the uh, Godmother of Black Comedy Godmother of Comedy Tina Graham go see it it's her roast. It's at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, November 29th. Doors open at 8 p.m. No, shows at 8 p.m. Doors open at 6, I think it is. 
We're gonna be down there acting a fool. Uh, we got Rip Michaels on there, Marlon Rudolph, oh, excuse me, Randolph, Kenny Williams, Sleepy Floyd, hosted by uh, Talent, Funny Man Talent. Got Teray, Clipper Man, myself, uh, Hassan Oliver, Crazy Jay, the comedian from Jersey, and a host of others. I think it's like 20 of us on that stage. And one of the, like I said, one of the funniest up and coming comedians right now, my man Leonard Outs, very funny dude. So he's gonna be there. A lot of people coming out to do roast her and say, you know, we love loved Tina to death. So like I said, come on out November 29th. Uh, that's my next show in, <laughs> in the area. Besides that, I'll be out of the area. But anytime I'm in town, in one of your towns, Look to my Facebook page, the Hostile Facebook page, the, the uh, fan page, and I'll put it up on there where I'm actually going to be at in uh, other towns, all right? All right, sounds good, sounds good. And I tell you, man, I mean, John and I know personally how funny you are. It's good to see that you're getting... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's definitely good to see that you're getting this exposure, man, and you're getting, you know, go up on the show and do that, man. So do your thing, man. We're proud of you. No right. doubt, no I, doubt, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, no you problem. little young punks look good to me. You know, uh, you guys, <laughs> guys look good to me out there in the streets. You know, you guys, still keep it going. <laughs> keep it going, man. Stay in school. Stay in school. Make yourself successful. Stay in school. All right, all right. So, John, no, what's good with you? Anything new? So, yeah, nothing too much is uh, going on with me right now, Scott. The only thing I'm checking out all the uh, social media sites, and I'm enjoying the love that everyone's showing us. Uh, you know, that's that's keeping me really busy right now, just responding to everyone. Um, also, you know, um, the t-shirt giveaway. You know what I mean? We got two t-shirts out there right now. We're going to put some more on some people's backs, respond to the trivia questions. We're really looking forward to that input. Mm -hmm. And also, also, Scott, so. I think we got to let the ladies know a little something. Oh, what is it? Yeah. We're coming out with the female t-shirts of the light. Look forward to that coming, ladies. And also, we're going to have our winter apparel coming out. You know what I mean? So uh, so look for more of your light apparel on the light podcast page. Uh, you'll be able to order things there. Uh, you'll be able to order individual stuff. We got a lot of cool things coming up, Scott. A lot of, lot of hip-hop b-boy style stuff, you know, to keep it to keep it the way we're talking about which is the hip-hop golden age. We got some cool things coming out as far as the apparel side of things. But definitely just hit us up on the uh, Light Podcast page. Mm -hmm. uh, you can check all of our uh, shows as well as see some of the earlier Light Podcasts mm -hmm. uh, to see how this whole thing came about. Because, you know, Scott, a lot of people may not know that this thing started just with a thought. Right. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. kind of like hip-hop did. So to see that iteration, to see that maturation process, I think will enlighten a lot of people as to how we got where we are right now. You know no, what I'm saying? No, well, no. We got to no. correct one thing, though. What's see, because John's accent made it come out and sound like it started with a thought. Mm -hmm. No, it started with a thought. <laughs> I don't want no, no, nobody. Don't get it misconstrued and you know, Sugarfoot come back. Y'all done took one of mine. What's happening? <laughs> it started with a thought, and it, three brothers came together to make something original, make something wonderful. So, y'all make sure y'all keep checking. A big shout out. Big, big shout out to Tiger Blaze, our resident artist, for, for coming up with the with the concept of the logo. It definitely uh, took off, and uh, we appreciate you, my man. So getting into the show, I mean, last week's episode was a monster, you know, as we worked to pay homage to one of the all-time greats in Ice-T. I mean, it was clear, based solely on the comments to our Facebook page, that Ice 
is as revered and loved today as he was when Ron Page first dropped back in 87. Uh, but more importantly, the hip hop community understands and respects the legacy that he helped create. Um, we also had a real tense discussion about the differences between a rapper and an MC. And again, based on comments from social media, you know, it's clear that we're not alone on our thoughts on the subject. This is a topic that needs to be discussed and brought up often, or we risk the current generation to the next generation not really understanding or even caring about what it is that we're so passionate about. So that being said, I want to ask you guys an important question. You know I got to do this to you. I always do. If hip-hop was always about celebrating creativity, then why can't these younger generation, why can't the younger cats do what these same artists that we go in on week in and week out? Why can't this younger generation celebrate their artists, the ones that we that we discuss and, and go in on each week? Why can't they do it? That's a very good question, Scott. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's that they can't do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a intentional shift in the direction of hip hop. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. And if I'm if I'm understanding your question correctly, where hip hop is going right now, there's like this battle. And this battle's been going on for a period of time now. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you have this battle of taking hip hop into more of the gimmick range okay. versus leaving it in that art form substance range. Mm -hmm. And the further we, it seems as though the broader hip hop becomes, it seems the easier it becomes to water down some of its foundational building blocks. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. You got these kids out here nowadays with this doggone sense of entitlement. They feel like they should have things given to them, like they didn't earn anything. We should just give it to them. When we came up, we had to earn just about everything we had. You had to go out, you had to really understand what it was like to go out and get a job, get a hustle, and, and, and it, it didn't come lightly. But these kids nowadays, they're getting everything given to them. But it's, I mean, you look at the school system, the teachers are scared of the administration. The administration is scared of the parents. The parents are scared of the kids, and the kids aren't scared of anybody. So they don't care anymore about what happened. So, they look at it as they go out to these parties with hip-hop uh if it ain't the person i don't really want to listen to i'm fighting they don't even dance at the parties no more i remember back in the days i go to the party everybody had a spot on the wall you could be right next to each other everybody had a spot on that wall you had the dance floor pack but while you was on that wall you wasn't standing there like no knucklehead no hard dude you had a girl in front of you or a girl behind you you had somebody who was on that wall having a good time with now everybody want to come in there, their pants hanging off their ass. They they upset about this. Oh, you stepped on my sneakers. Oh, I saw you. You said something on Facebook about me. That was a subliminal thought. You said something to me. Listen, if somebody says something to you subliminally, like the post anyway and laugh about it. Because you know what? That right there hurt them more than anything else, whether than you come rather than you coming back and smack them in the face or doing something else. These little young punks are soft nowadays. They're soft and they wanna shoot everything. Mm -hmm. They don't wanna fight with their hands. And hip hop has been watered down with people who are they have college degrees, they've been to school, they've had real jobs. And some of them are portraying, not everybody, because, I mean, there are some real hardcore people out there. Shout out to Mano. But 
you sit up there and you see people out there portraying a lifestyle that they really didn't live and you got these young boys out here trying to live that same lifestyle and when you throw all of that stuff into a pot where they don't care about school they don't care about their parents because they feel that things should be given to them that sense of entitlement and they look at the life how it's supposed to be on tv watching rap videos instead of sitting up there reading a book that's when you get this this disorganized disenchanted disconnected child and youth that are growing up in hip-hop nowadays who just feel i'm just going to make a couple hooks and i'm gonna make a whole lot of money and if you don't have that you have that other brother sitting at home playing playing playstation or playing xbox waiting for somebody to find a bag of money in the woods and give him a little bit of it so he can act like he's flossing but see that I, you know what? To a certain degree, I do agree with you. But there's a small part that I, this is industry driven, is what I'm saying. Because check this out for just 30 seconds. All right. You don't you don't have somebody coming up to try to get a deal, rapping, hit the coin. You follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's not on his demo tape. When he sends that out to an A and R, that's not. And 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 I'm making an assumption to that. Because I do know some people in the hip hop game, you understand what I'm saying. But then once you get in, and now you have you have somebody who's controlling you because they're paying you now for your art form. So now they're controlling you. So now they're saying, look, you can go ahead and do what you did to get into my office. But now because you're in my office, you got to do what I want you to do to keep getting this paper. Now you can go back outside my office, and outside my office there isn't any money. Inside my office, I'm opening up this this treasure chest to you. You know what I mean? And it's kind of it's it's kind of like the, uh, you know, it's it's that whole studio gangster thing. It's that whole CB that movie CB4. You know what I mean? It's just it's, they're they're just creating an image. Now, do I think some cats go up in there with this with knucklehead rhymes and get a deal? Yeah, there I'm sure there's a degree of that. But I'm saying to the vast majority, I would have to try to look at it from the perspective of you can do you can be authentic or you can get paid you understand what i'm saying yeah and in my pocket is this paper here in my pocket is this fame that you're seeking he just needs you to and it starts it all starts that's why you see like when we talked about with drake that's why you saw with like a lot of his mixtape stuff when he first was coming up you barely heard the word nigger in it but once he got deeper into his deal it's nigger closing every line you know what I mean? It's, it's, they take that creative control to a certain degree because they because because they want to shape it, and that's why I said it's, it's a fight in the industry or it's a fight in hip hop between industry driven hip hop and actually and, and actual culturally driven hip hop. We're talking about the the hip hop that's by the culture. Mm-hmm. What do you think Millie Mel thought about the Beastie Boys when he first saw them? Do you think that he nope. thought? Do you think he thought they were a gimmick, or do you think that he embraced them and? and you know, allow them to be part of this thing. What do you think? Just from a thought, I'm not saying this is his actual words or anything, but I don't think Millie Mel looked at them like they were true mm-hmm. until after possibly, you know how you look at it, you judge a book by its cover sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of the same way I did because I judged the book because I heard their music first. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, this is, this is something I could listen to. Mm-hmm. Then when I saw them, I was like, what? That's who I was listening to? And it was a little shock for me. And then I had to get over that and then say, all right, I, you know, I give him a pass. But I think that might have been what Melly Mel looked at. Like, you know, they ain't, you know, 
they ain't like us. They ain't, they ain't real true hip hop culture. You know, I don't know if he actually felt that way. He might, he might say something different. But at the time, that's the way I would have felt. I, I would have to say I think he looked at them like they're dope. I mean, because I remember when they first came out, you know, they had that. You know, hip hop was still in this, you know, in this, in this explosion of the early '80s. Right. And there was a market segment for that. And so therefore you're seeing, because I had cats that I was growing up with back at that time, you know what I mean? Caucasian, you know what I mean? White, white dudes, they were white chocolate, straight up. That's just, you know what I mean? I mean, that's just how they were. So they liked R&B. So when hip hop came along, they liked hip hop. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was already that audience there. So when I think he first heard the Beastie Boys, I think it was just, Again, just white folk who liked hip hop, and this is how they're expressing it. Because, you know, Beastie Boys came out with a lot of guitar riffs, and they were rapping over rock music. Well, they were a rock band first. You know, yeah, they were. You, there, there, you, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so then they just, and maybe to a certain extent, think about this. Ha, Scott, that's a great point you bring up. Mm-hmm. Think about this. Think about if the industry told them, think about if the Beastie Boys wanted to be a rock band. Mm-hmm. But in order to get in the door, the, the industry told them, all right, you can play rock music, but you got to sing rap lyrics. Mm-hmm. We'll give you this money. I'm not saying that happened, but I'm just saying just based upon what we were just talking about, you know, as to how the industry shapes artists these days in the realm of possibilities, that's one of them. You know what I'm saying? But we know that that's not the case because we can tell by how they are. Right. Just like MC Search and those cats from Third Base, you can just, you can tell, you can tell like certain cats were faking it. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that they weren't really feeling the culture. Nah. You know what I mean? But you, okay. exactly. Mm-hmm. Those cats felt, they felt the culture. Right. You know what I mean? So I think he looked at them like, they're just white cats who feel the culture. Right. Come on with it. Right. You know? Respect to Rick Rubin for having the vision to sign the Beastie Boys and to, and to shape their career. Um, you know, much respect and peace to uh, the Beastie Boys and, you know, rest in peace, MCA. Um, no doubt, no, no doubt. Yeah, but this week, this week, guys, we're going to try something a little different and focus on a few films that were very instrumental in both highlighting and defining what hip-hop culture was all about and let those films drive our discussion. Wild Style and Style Wars, both released in 1983 with little fanfare, but have since become just as classic as the albums that we celebrate on the show. Then the very next year, we had Beat Street, came out in 1984, but all three of these films, they hit on all four elements of the culture, in b-boying, graffiti writing, emceeing, and DJing, and they focused on key players in each that helped launch hip-hop into the stratosphere. So you guys ready for this? Rock it. All right, let's do it. You're listening to The Light Podcast, and as always, you can reach us on Twitter at The Light Podcast or on our Facebook page. Just search for The Light Podcast and drop us a message. We always respond, and we always show love. Now, a little knowledge for your brains. Yeah, yeah, and you know always, shout out to the God, Vanilla Ice, you know. Man, then get the fuck out of here with that. Get out of here. What are you talking about? Man, can we start the show? Get out of here. Come on, man. Vanilla Ice was a G. I don't care what you say. Man, come on. (laughs) Run it. Run it. Run it, Scott. Run it.
As always, I like to enlighten everybody and give them a little bit of history and hip-hop history. So, today, October 22nd, back in 1906, 3,000 blacks demonstrated and rioted in Philadelphia. They demonstrated the protest of a theatrical presentation of Thomas Dixon's The Klansman. 62 blacks were reported lynched on that date in 1906. But as you see it, for one cause, 3,000 blacks stood together. Just like the Million Man March, all those brothers stood together. Wasn't rioting, wasn't fighting, wasn't drug selling, wasn't no drunks, nothing. They stood together for a common cause. So if we can learn anything, stand together, you fall for anything. And this right here may not have been a positive way to go about it in certain people's eyes, but they sat up there and they did riot for what they believed in. And, and they protested the uh, viewing of Thomas Dixon's The Klansman. Moving forward in hip hop history, it was in this month, the Diggable Planets released their album and Scott's a great lover of the Diggable, Diggable Planets and I said I can't stand them. I only, the one song is the only one I actually liked and, and that was too much for me because I felt they were those people that uh, were trying to find themselves down at Howard University. Howard University is a great school. I have a lot of good friends that came from there, but when the freshmen come in, as at any other school, they're always trying to find themselves. It just looked like, to me, the Diggable Planets were stuck in that one moment where they were always trying to find themselves. Now, the second album that I want to talk about that was released on this date in hip hop history was one of my favorites. And I'm telling you right now, this album was a killer. Snoop Dogg released Murder Was The Case. This is the time he was on trial for murder when one of his uh, security guards or friends actually shot a rival gang member who was trying to attack Snoop and killed him. Eventually he was released and found not guilty. It was self-defense. So this date in hip hop history, murder was the case, 1994. Hey, Scott. So, you know, this week in current events, man, you know, we don't do the typical hip hop news. You know, that's not what we're about here. But I just want to bring up, you know, we had talked about before on which episode, Scott, did we talk about Hamilton? That was what? Uh, was that the Jay-Z episode or another one? I think that was either the Illmatic. No, that was the Jay-Z episode. You're right. Episode 11. OK. 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 And we talked about uh, Alexander Hamilton, the play that's currently on Broadway. It's sold out up until about June of next year. So if you're thinking about getting some tickets, uh, you might want to start now. <laughs> but uh, on the BET Awards the other night, you know, the best part of the BET Awards to me are the ciphers. I mean, it's just cats, you know, hopefully they're all freestyling. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, you got cats up there who are just freestyling, just letting it go and just really bringing it back to the art form that it started with on the street corners. You know, cats just going battle for battle, line for line, rhyme for rhyme. And they had on there, Scott, can you believe they had on there three members of the Broadway musical Hamilton? Can you believe that? Actually, I can. I mean, after you put us on that, I mean, I went and did some research of myself, and it was crazy how popular that show had become. And I, I was almost, I still am embarrassed at the fact that I didn't know nothing about it. So, obviously, the hip-hop community has taken notice, and the fact that they were invited to the BET Cypher, I mean, that pretty much says what you all, all you need to know about that part, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And the fact that they have Black Thought and Quest Love in the background. Oh, with them. yeah. The show creator and director, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Uh, again, he's from Washington Heights, New York. I like, you know, I mean, of course, it's the cipher, but one of the things that he said in there, uh, he was like, I'm, I literally came to bring the drama. You know, and this dude's <laughs> yeah. a playwright. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's, exactly. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool, man. And then the other chick they had on there, uh, or the female, excuse me, that they had on there was uh, is Renee Elise Goldsberry. I hope I did her name justice. And she's from Harlem, New York. And again, you know, just uh, just loving the authenticity in hip hop. That's where I, you know, that's where I come into a lot of it. So when I'm listening to a person's lyrics, I'm looking, I'm listening for that authenticity. I'm listening for something that's descriptive about them, that's unique to them, and so on and so forth. Right. And she broke it down from the very beginning of her bars. She was like, mother of two with one life to live. I was like, all right, there you go. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, all right, giving mm-hmm. it to you there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then she went further just to bring in the women of hip-hop because I think one day, you know, one of these one of these podcasts in the future, we're going to definitely have to discuss the ladies of hip-hop. Oh, most definitely. You know, and she was like, uh, and since they're talking about Alexander Hamilton, you know, president, and uh, she was like, we know the founding fathers, but the mothers are a mystery. And then she starts naming all these different women back in history. And at one point she even says, I'm coming with Pocahontas, bring smallpox and blankets to white folks. Mm. I was like, this chick right here, man. I mean, and then the last dude, David Diss, he's from Oakland, California. I mean, this dude's talking about, I'm a, I'm a uppercut, but I'm cut from above. I mean, the, the, the things that they're bringing into, man, into the rap sphere, just these are these are actors. These are these are cats who sit up on stage, and this is what they you know this is what they do. They don't they don't rap. They don't do hip hop, but yet they're able to take their art form and blend it with hip hop. Right. And then you have what comes out, which is Alexander Hamilton, and how these and how these cats are vibing between both of those worlds, both of those different art forms. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Just look at the reach that hip hop has now. I mean, we talked about that uh, back on episode 11, but the fact that, you know, a, a project such as this can, you know, get to this stage where the quote unquote hip hop purists and the hip hop community check for and be accepted and be brought in by none other than, you know, than Black Thought of the Roots. I mean, that is a cosign right there. That is a straight up real cosign. No doubt, no doubt. And then, of course, Black Thought closed it out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to try to mention any of his lyrics because, you know, they stand on their own. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, just, I just wanted to bring that up again to the uh, podcast listeners that at some point I'm really hopeful that uh, if it hasn't already happened, that this musical is just, and I don't know how they can do it. I think I mentioned this before. Since it is a musical, being released on audio, I think, is just a natural progression of it. But if there is a separate soundtrack of some sort that comes from Alexander Hamilton, the musical, I'm, I'm definitely going to pick it up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely going to pick that up. Absolutely, I'm going to pick that up. I mean, I was going to pick it up anyway on the strength of, of, of you bringing it up. You know, I mean, we kind of count on you to show us, you know, some of the things that are coming up in the hip-hop game that kind of exists outside of the the reach that we're comfortable with. I mean... Yeah, and I'm just looking forward to uh, what the industry brings next 
with respect to this, you know what I mean? So Absolutely. now we're on stage, mm -hmm. you know, now we're, now we're on the oldest stage in the world, mm -hmm. you know, and I wonder what other playwrights are going to come from this, you oh. know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I mean, he's the first. Mm -hmm. Who's going to come next? Thanks for bringing it to our attention, hey. man. No problem. Three minus four. Three minus four. There it is. John L. Captain, I thought you were supposed to be in boot camp. You know I was going to shoot your ass? I ought to rearrange your face. That's what I should do. What the fuck is with that do-rag on your head anyway? I don't know what the hell you were doing in my crib, but I want this shit out of my room. What you mean, shit? What shit? This shit, it's fucking garbage. Hey, this isn't garbage. This is something that you don't get to see in the infantry, my man. People are sick of it. Have you been busted for this yet? Never, never. You mean to tell me that I'm busting my ass? I'm sending money home for you and mom? And you're sitting at home doing this shit? And you should be honoring a medal for this. Stop fucking around and be a man. There ain't nothing out here for you. Oh, yes, there is. This. All right, fellas, what we're going to do here, we're going to try to switch gears a little bit. Normally, you know, obviously at this point in the show, we do uh, an album review, but um, we discussed it offline, and I think the best thing to do at this point is to kind of take a break. But let's, let's look at some of the movies some of those influential movies that came out, you know what I'm saying, back back in the day that kind of, you know, formed our, our thought process, that, you know, formed kind of our, our attitude with respect to what hip-hop was all about and where it was headed back in the 80s. And I think, you know, there's no better place to start than with those iconic movies, uh, Wild Style and Style Wars. You guys remember those, right? No, no doubt, no doubt. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Everybody had to get fitted off of them joints. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I go back to Nas, Illmatic. I mean, we talked about that a few weeks ago. The opening for Illmatic was that was all wild style. Even the beat, you know what I'm saying? He was stop fucking around and be a man. And then it hit, that beat hit, and it went right to the subway, right, right to that graffiti. So, um, the, the greatest set of acting by that young man, also. <laughs> His act. His acting was impeccable. He should have got an Oscar for that part. Nah. Back then, I it's mean... It's called sarcasm. <laughs> it's called sarcasm. All right. All right, Uncle Demon. Uncle uh, Demon. He, like, he went to... He sat up there and, and, and went to the Fred Merce School of Acting or something because he sucked bad. <laughs> but, yo, I that mean, was somebody's cousin that just got a spot in the movie. <laughs> but you know what, though? Seriously, in all honesty, I like the fact that the acting sucked. You know what I mean? Just simply because it was it give it gave the industry, it gave the art form an opportunity to show the actual individuals mm -hmm. versus somebody trying to portray them. Mm -hmm. So therefore it brought a strong level of authenticity to everything. I mean, you know, they they weren't actors, but they were really graffiti artists. They were really those cats. They were really the breakers. They were really those people out there doing those things. So again, yeah, the acting sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel you know. Those people were. He wasn't nothing. He was the brother laying on the bed. First of all, how you gonna tell me to be a man? You come home from wherever you at and you laying on my bed. <laughs> my bed. Watching TV. It's Friday night. 
You oh, why don't you go out and get a girl? You laying on my bed with them tight jeans on. You don't tell me to stop effing around and be a man. Those were vasectomy jeans. <laughs> Those are the kind of jeans when you ain't got enough money to go to the doctor and get one. You put them tight ass jord ass jeans on like that and lay around all over the place. And your nuts, boy, your nuts will get clipped quick. <laughs> hey, listen, but... listen. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold up. We are talking about 1980. Three. I was just about to say that. Don't, don't tell me you didn't have some Jordas, some Calvin Klein, some Chardons. Come on now. Don't tell me you weren't checking the chicks that had those on as well. This is 1983. Yeah, yeah. That's the chicks, though. That's the chicks, not the dudes. Man, but the you dudes had the Jordas. I had Jordas. Or let me, let me, let me correct that. Or the Legion. Uh, Remember the Legion? The Great Legion. Right. See, there you go. There you yeah, go. I had yeah. to see. There you go. There you, anyway, like I was saying, uh, we used to go down in, in Pittsburgh. There were, there were, uh, there was this one store called Fifth and Wood, and we used to go down there to get our jeans and things of that nature. Man, Calvin Klein's, the Lees, all of them, all of them. And I remember, man, they used to cost like I think forty dollars. You know, what I mean, like back then in '83, that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, now you spend $40, you know, on the freaking, you know, Under Armour top. <laughs> you know what I'm oh, saying? For sure. But, you know, and then you used to press them doggone things, man. Mm-hmm. We used to put so much starch on our jeans that before we put our leg in, we have to peel them apart to get that crease down the middle of them. This is 1983. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you definitely had to have on your Jordash. You had to have on your, uh, you know, your Converse All-Stars. You definitely had. I mean, we were we were definitely fresh to death back then. So don't so don't so don't get on it too hard because you know we were all rocking it. See, but I also I also want to clarify something for the listeners. John grew up in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Jersey. We ain't have no Jordan's jeans and Chuck Taylors on. All right. We had British Knights. We had we had Pumas. We had, exactly, we had, listen, man, we had some of them, some of them shoes, like the, uh, like, New Edition wore in their, their Candy Girl album cover, the, we had them, the troops. I think they were called Zodiacs and stuff like that, oh, okay. but we had them, we had different stuff, we didn't have no Chuck Taylors, and I'm going to tell you the truth, I really didn't have, I had a pair of Jordans and there's nobody alive that could tell you that they saw me in a picture of, or got a picture of me in a, you know, that ain't gonna happen. But I had maybe one or two pair and not really anything else. And as soon as I could get out of them damn things, I got out of them and got me some Lees. Now the Lees that came in around the time of Beach Street, I had every color you could have. And was, I mean, I had pastel colors. Yeah, but back then it was the gray, and I believe it was the burgundy that were the popular ones, right? The gray, the burgundy, and like the black ones, obviously. Man, I had lavender. I was tough with mine. I had it. I had the, with the leather bombers and the sheepskins. I had all of that right there. John, did y'all wear sheepskins in yeah, Pittsburgh, see, Pittsburgh? Yeah, but see, I couldn't afford any of that stuff. I'm telling you what I could afford. I ain't talking about what you could afford. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, y'all talking about different types of, you know, the, the same shoes I wore to play basketball, it was the same shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, Listen. seriously though, I mean, it's just, 
it's just, you know, I'm sure it was regional. Mm -hmm. Every, everyone had their B-boy gear. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it's 1983. You know what I mean? Rap, rap's six years old, maybe. You know what I mean? So every, so every, so everyone was trying to dress B-boyish, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, because it was so regional, different regions, you know, and there were cats in my region who, you know, for us it was Nikes and, like I said, the All Stars. Not the, not the Chucks, man. I'm talking about the leather joints, joint. I ain't talking about. We went down to the store called Hannes Wagner in Pittsburgh back in the day and got our joints. He had me in some canvas Chuck Taylors, man. <laughs> <laughs> but nah. Saying, but, you, you sat up there and said but it. I said some all stars, man. I said all stars. I said all stars. He's no, <laughs> no, yeah. eighty three. I. Yeah. But I let him say that. You know, that's you know that got the jokes for. <laughs> but, Listen, you know, man. I don't care. Man. I already said I don't care how you feel about it. We wasn't wearing them. So suck Ray J's left titty. You're not gonna sit oh, up there and tell God. me about some, some Converse. I don't care. We was wearing British Knights. We was wearing Puma. We, Tim's wasn't even in back then, so people wasn't wearing them. But we was, rocking, we was rocking our stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he said British Knights. Remember the kangaroos? Oh, I remember them. I remember the kangaroo. They had the pocket on the side yeah. of the... Of the yeah. Where we was, used to wear those. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they were hot for a minute. And also, remember um, the ponies? Yeah. Yeah, the ponies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we yeah we had some ponies. I forgot about the ponies, Scott. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> if we are if we're forgetting anything, when y'all listen to this, please hit us up on the uh, website or on the uh, you know on the Facebook page or Twitter account, whatever, and let us know anything from where whatever area you're from. Let us know what we're missing. Shoot, even post a picture of it. No nasty stuff. I got it. This week, the T-shirt giveaway. Oh, Here yeah. it is. Are y'all ready for it? Post your best 1983 to 85 shot on the Facebook page. On the Facebook to like podcast page. Here are the rules. It's very simple. The, the one that receives the most likes has to be the freshest and the deafest representing that era from 1983 to 85, you're going to get a free T-shirt, the top three. There it is. I'm glad that we're disqualified from this competition because ain't no way I'm posting my picture up there. <laughs> Yo, I'm going, also, I'm going to post a picture just to show that ain't no shame to my game. I'm happy where it came from. Yeah, I want to see Cassell glasses. I want to see doobies. I want to see door knocking <laughs> earrings. Yes. You know what I mean? I want to see troop, yes. I want to see troop jackets. <laughs> Nice, yeah. nice. I uh, think I'm figuring out right now what I'm going as Halloween. Oh. I think I already done figured something out. You got to post that picture. You got to make that. I'll picture. post it. I'll post it on November first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, headed. You know, going back to Wild Style. I think you know, without even getting into the content of the movie, I think the fact that Wild Style and Star Wars came out in the same movie in the same year. Um, was incredibly important. It was a direct indication that Hollywood was now starting to take notice, right? That hip hop was a moneymaker or, or was becoming a moneymaker. You know what I mean? And I think those early movies, the fact that they hit on all four aspects of the hip hop culture, you're talking about the MC, the DJ, you know, B-boying, you, know, uh, you know, graffiti, all of those movies, all four of those movies hit on all aspects. I mean, just look at the cast a wild style. Just for a second, let's just look at the cast. You got Fat Five Freddy, Cold Crush, 
Rocksteady, Grandmaster, Flash, Starsky, you know, you know, Busy B. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these movies, as corny as they were, were incredibly important. And I don't mean corny, you know, as far as the hip-hop culture's corny. I'm talking about the acting and all that. What they covered was, was incredibly important to us. You know what I'm saying? No doubt, no doubt, because it actually showed for people like me. See, you guys were in, you, you, you guys were local to the area. Mm -hmm. you, that's where it came from. It came out of New York. I mean, you know, people want to dispute it, say it started in different places. I'm not saying that hip-hop wasn't around in different places at the same time it was around in New York, mm -hmm. but the whole hip-hop culture came out of New York. Mm -hmm. It came out of the boroughs. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, you guys were closer to it than us. So these things were hitting you. You were on that inner ripple, if you will, right. of this new freaking wave that was coming out, which is, you know, hip-hop and rap. Mm -hmm. I'm in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. so, I'm, so I'm catching things. You talk about catching things second, third, fourth hand. Right. You know what I mean? So when these movies came out for me, it was like a documentary. <laughs> I mean, to a certain degree, because now I'm tying in the run DMC lyrics, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And different, different things that, you know, that I was able to catch in Pittsburgh, right. you know, people got to remember, I mean, a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are, and also like the uh, Facebook page and different social media sites, they're of, you know, a 30, you know, they're of a certain age where they remember when there wasn't an internet and just, you have all the world's information in the palm of your hand. You know what I'm saying? There was a time when, you know, things, everybody didn't know them at the same time. A lot of the information about hip-hop, the graffiti and all that sort of stuff, it was a majority underground type of movement. So when Wild Styles came out, I'm sitting there looking at it like, you know, eyes wide open, notepad. You okay, you know, this is B-Boy. You know what I mean? This is B-Boy 101 right here. Uh -huh. I agree with you 100%, John. I mean, one of the things that that really struck out to me. I mean, I went back and watched these movies again in preparation for this episode. And I go back to when I first watched these movies as a kid. And I remember thinking, I mean, just like you said, I mean, Dent and I, that was, that, was, that was ground zero for us. I mean, that was all we knew. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when you watch a movie and they're talking about graffiti, it's like, of course. When you see a movie and they're talking about breakdancing, of course. You know, DJing, MCing, of course. We saw that every day. But now, as a grown man, going back and watching these movies, it was interesting to see, you know, because these Hollywood studios, they were filming these movies from the outside looking in. You know what I'm saying? And so both of these movies, Wild Style and Style Wars, they looked at graffiti artists as like a virus. They didn't look at it as art. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they tried. They tried to capture these artists. They tried to capture the essence of what they were trying to do. But at the end of the day, you saw what they really thought. They, saw, they thought that these artists were, were, were like viruses. You know what? It, it, it really wasn't until, i say, maybe 10, 15 years ago that all of a sudden graffiti art became art. All of a sudden, they're putting it in galleries. They're putting, you know, everybody's wearing it on their clothes and stuff. Because for a while, remember, yeah, they, they did uh, criminal stuff because they had to post their art wherever but it was like i said it was a culture so they posted their art on trains walls you know somebody's business or something like that but businesses also started saying you know my my building may look terrible if i get these graffiti artists to come in here and do a mural on my wall now all of a sudden you know made the neighborhood look better mm -hmm. just with my building mm -hmm. so that's happened as far as i'm concerned about 
the way this movie was, and, and you know, I was waiting for you to actually finish so I could tell you because the comment you made about Hollywood seeing that, uh, you know, okay, all of a sudden is selling, it's, it's important, it's something we need to put out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was it. No. I think they actually wanted to take a chance mm -hmm. to keep the natives quiet. Mm. You know, just keep the natives, you know, the natives were restless for a while. So, listen, why don't we see what this does? Just like with hip-hop, when when some uh, when you have some people that dabbled in that, all of a sudden, it takes off, it explodes. And some of these people were on the ground floor, and they became, you know, multi-millionaires because they just happened to be in the right place, right time, and trying to figure that 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 system out itself also the hip-hop trying to figure it out themselves mm -hmm. so i think it was the same thing that happened with the movies we're going to tell their culture we're going to put it out and let's see if it sells mm -hmm. and we saw that b street sold like crazy on the east coast but from what i heard from some people that i knew on the west coast they said that you know they couldn't relate to it on the west coast they liked it but they couldn't relate to it and yeah. then you get out there and see breaking mm -hmm. which i thought was one of the worst damn movies in the world because you have this privileged white girl who comes into a impoverished area and she's there to save us all she's going to show us how to get out of the hood by dancing and we'll get money by dancing mm -hmm. we'll turn into superstars yeah, all right whatever these kids over here in beach street yeah, they thought that chick could do something for him, but that was Ray Don Chong. All she was was a college student. She wasn't from no rich area or anything like that. And she tried to come in there and say, listen, maybe some of my dancers can use what you do. Mm -hmm. Wasn't nothing like what they were doing on the West Coast. And it showed you, to me, B Street showed you the culture. It showed you graffiti artists. It mm -hmm. showed you breakdancing. It showed you battling. It showed you the fact that back in the days when we were sitting up there trying to battle each other without violence, just dancing, the cops didn't know what to do with us. We were, we were that X factor. They didn't, they didn't know. They didn't understand. So what did they do? They locked us up. Oh, they're in there fighting. We didn't even throw one punch. Well, you're, you're causing a disturbance, so you need to go to jail. You need to, you need to get locked up for a little while or a holding cell. See, they put all of that stuff in the movie. Breaking didn't put that stuff in their movie. Breaking put in the movie, he worked at a convenience store with a, a fake broom that he could do magic with. He, uh, they, they had an amazing life of always trying to do stuff. He was in the hospital and had a girlfriend, couldn't speak. That, that Spanish chick couldn't speak English for jack shit. And she's in the movie acting because she had a body. That's it. Mm -hmm. Breaking sucked to me. Can you can you can you feel the the hate in my voice for that movie? Oh, now not. I don't have any I don't have any any problems with with uh, what was it Blue Shrimp and mm -hmm. Shabba du whatever you know Duke Little Dookie mm -hmm. whatever his name is. <laughs> I don't have no problems with them. You know, listen, and they do. We'll probably see them in there still trying to do what they do. But it, I couldn't relate to it because I guess because I wasn't from out there. Mm -hmm. The best part of that movie to me was when the credits were rolling. That, that was the best part of the movie to me. And I'm sorry, Ice-T, I know you were in the movie. You you cool and all, dude, but that movie sucked to me, and it sucked bad, dog. So, like I said, there was a difference. To me, they didn't show any culture. They, they were trying to save a building and save this, and they do all this and that. With B Street, 
like I said, they showed you breaking, they showed you graffiti, they showed you DJing, they showed you different acts of DJing, they showed you different rappers, rappers that could actually rap. They showed you that stuff, they showed you everything from start to finish, they even showed you death on a real circumstance, you know, like on a real level, because people in the city knew graffiti artists did die sometimes, not knowing that third rail was the hot rail. Mm. So it happened. They showed you all of that. Breaking, you suck, man. You suck big time, man. <laughs> Whoever made that movie, you should have copied it onto another DVD or another CD or another tape and burned both of them because they sucked, man. Damn, that tell it was wrong I, for making it. It was wrong. Tell them how you really feel, that. <laughs> that brings up a good point. Us being on the East Coast, we couldn't relate to none of that on Breaking. But we still watched it. I still watched the hell out of that movie. You know what I mean? I watched, yeah, I uh, guess I guess for me, the, the, mm -hmm. the Breaking thing, is like that one scene you mentioned, that um, with uh, Turbo mm -hmm. dancing with the with the broom at the right. convenience store. Yeah. That, that was actually a shout-out to Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to watch a lot of black and white movies. Like I said, we didn't, you know, have a lot of cable. <laughs> but the one channel that, one of the channels that was free was the, uh, the old movie channel. I forget remember the name of the channel. Mm -hmm. I don't think the channel even had a name. Mm -hmm. um, and so I used to watch it. And, so I, and subsequently, I used to see a lot of these damn Fred Astaire, Ginger Roger movies and mm -hmm. things of that nature. A lot of these black and whites and stuff. Right. And when I saw Breaking and... When Turbo did that, I was like, oh, that's from, you know, such and such, such and such movie. It's called Swing Time, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, damn, that's, that's kind of cool. So I just, I just think the whole movie differential from the East Coast to the West Coast was just as different as the way the music was as far as East Coast and West Coast rap. You know, I mean, if you think about it from that perspective, I mean, there's, you know, the, the East Coast is going to be more gritty. Mm -hmm. And the West Coast is going to have a little bit of, I don't want to say air, but it's going to—it's not going to be as grimy and gritty. Well, yeah, it's a until yeah. until you do the gangster rap, mm -hmm. and then when you go gangster rap, and then everything on the West Coast became harder than what was on the East Coast. Oh yeah, I mean Cali is a whole right. different, it's a you know, different it's a amp, geographical it's area. Amp. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was—it was still—it was, was still interesting for us as kids to watch Breaking because that might as well have been the moon. You know what I'm saying? I mean, California? Oh, yeah. That might as well be Mars. You know what I'm saying? And to see that right. they're trying to do what it is that we're doing over here, you know, and that's how they're yeah. doing it. I mean, they had our interests. You know what I mean? They, they checked all the boxes. There was graffiti on the wall. There was a DJ. You know what I'm saying? They were, they were rapping. They were dancing. I mean, right. we're doing that over here, too. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, 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 yeah. and your, boy, uh, your, your boy Turbo used to be on that show that came on. I can't remember. It was called, like, Dance Hour. His name was Shabadoo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you see him in Breaking and Breaking 2, mm -hmm. you, that dance show was on, like, two years before that, maybe. It was like a dance variety show. It was like a solid goal. You guys remember Solid Goal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it was like a Solid Goal type thing. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the lead dancers. His name was Shabadoo. It only came on for, like, a season or two. Mm -hmm. So when he got his break for that break in, in that Breaking 2, I mean, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, like the acting sucked, of course. But I was, you know, even as a kid, I was like, oh, there's that, you know what I mean? I was making those ties. And that whole West Coast break, uh, that pop locking mm -hmm. that he, he would do, you know, so I think the movie did, did an excellent job of showing how different 
they were from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. If you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. They didn't try to copy the East Coast stuff. That was nothing but dangerous minds years ago. That's all it was. The white girl came into the neighborhood and saved the four black kids. King Kong. That's freaking King Kong. That's freaking everything. Mm -hmm. That's everything. I mean, that's that that is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's you know that's just that's just how that thing rolls. Yeah. You know, but I, but I think for what it meant to the culture, I think breaking was just as important to show that to show the difference. And they were, you know, honest in the fact that they didn't try to be a straight emulation of the East Coast. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That movie sucked. <laughs> well, it has some comedic value, that's for sure. <laughs> and it helped launch, and it helped launch, you know, one of the best rappers, you know what I mean, who's had a very illustrious career in Ice T. Word. I mean. It catapulted that dude because he was in both of them. There isn't a movie. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about six very influential movies that came out between a span of two years. Mm -hmm. Between Wild Style, Style Wars, Breaking, Breaking 2, Beach Street, and Crush Groove. Mm -hmm. So those are, you know, if you think about it from just movies and just the ability to show because Star Wars wasn't really a movie. That was a documentary. That right. was, you know, mm -hmm. that was, that was, that was, that was a straight walk. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the other five, they did their job. It was, it was showing you their, their lives and their, and their struggles and what they had to go through. Albeit the acting sucked, which is why I really appreciate the fact that the acting sucked because it used, you know, these movies tried to use to the best of their ability, most of the actual people, hence Ice-T coming out of breaking, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, becoming the, you know, hip-hop superstar that he became, mm -hmm. you know, actor, you know what I mean, producer, you know, everything that he done, that he's done, you know, to all the, think about it this way, the graffiti artists, as much as they sucked acting in Wild Styles and stuff like that, think about how much money they made after those movies, just from being in those movies. Don't necessarily look at the bad acting Look at what this did as far as from an informational perspective. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have, you weren't going to, the only thing you, we had back then to find out information was newspapers and encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. You weren't going to find hip hop in neither one of them. Nah. Hollywood could have been like, all right, you know what? We're going to tell this story of hip hop. Just speaking specifically, you know, going back to Wild Style. I mean, that's, that was kind of the whole point of this particular episode right here. Going back to talking about Wild Style and Star Wars, but specifically Wild Style. Hollywood couldn't be like, you know what, fuck it, man. We're going to go cast this thing, and we're going to, you know, misrepresent or represent these characters that we've identified as being important. We're going to represent them the way that we want to. But you got to give, you got to give some credit, you know, to Hollywood or whoever was in charge of the production of these movies. They went and they got the actual people, you know what I'm saying, who were responsible for the movement back then. I mean, you're talking about even the, just the lead character in wild style um zorro i mean his real name was lee quinones right i mean he was one of the most right, right. I mean, he was one of the most important graffiti artists of all time even still to this day i mean he ran in the same circles as like you know jean michel basquiat Samo. i mean he was one of the guys one of the originators of this thing here man i mean then he went out and he got you know fat five freddy the cold crush brothers grandmaster flash busy b i mean these people were there at the beginning in the South Bronx, and the fact that they were involved in the story, I mean, it added a, a, 
a substantial amount of street cred, you know what I'm saying, to the movie. Even and guess who was one of the writers? Who? Fab Five Freddy. Yeah, Fab Five. He was one of the he was yeah. he was one of the original concept writers, and his uh, writing name was Fred uh, Breathwaite. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me tell you, man, that right there says a lot for the authenticity and how this movie was put out. Mm-hmm. While they weren't, you know, hip hop artists, they expanded the culture in such a way that we're, we're definitely going to have to discuss them. Oh yeah, they, but uh, the fact that he was yeah a writer on this thing was is tremendous. Yeah, it was him and um, the lady that played the reporter in Wild Style. Her name was Patty Astor, right? She was one of the more important journalists, one of the more important writers uh, back in the village back in those times. So you know, I mean, you have a lot of important people, a lot of influential people that gravitated toward and just held on to hip hop culture and tried to document it in a way that was authentic. So wild style is also important because, you know, for those, for those people outside of the New York City metro area, this was their introduction to Rocksteady. And we talked about Ice-T in the last episode. Africa Islam was Rocksteady's DJ, right? And who was the most famous Rocksteady? Who was the most famous member of Rocksteady? Crazy Legs, the dancer Crazy Legs. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So, and then he, then he ended up breaking off and becoming a part of the New York City Breakers. Now, Crazy, Crazy Legs was always, uh, always rock steady. He was, he was always, president of rock he was, he was always rock yeah. steady. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And he's one of, he's the longest running president I think they actually still got. I, I'm, he might be president okay. still at this time. I know Crazy Legs. Okay. Oh, for real? Oh, cool. Yeah. Dad, you got to get him on here, man. How did you meet Crazy Legs? He stole my sneakers back in the days. Oh. Shit. Stole my pumas. How did that happen? While I was moonwalking, he took them right off my feet. While he was moonwalking, just like he, just like he did in that movie, just took them right off my feet. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> nah, he, I swear. Yeah, see, y'all laughing me. Listen, man, I, he, I got some run-ins with some dangerous people and some people that just don't like that. I swear, man. I was trying to battle Crazy Legs. I stopped him on Forty Second Street. Mm-hmm. And okay. my boy, my boy was with me. You know, he couldn't break, but he looked good holding cardboard. Mm-hmm. So he was standing out there in poles with the cardboard in his hand. So we saw crazy legs. And I said, yo, lay the cardboard down. So he put it down. And I started up rocking and I was popping and stuff. And I started sitting up there beating crazy legs. We was going back and forth. I started beating them. Then I sat up there. I said, let me throw this moonwalk on him with a little Michael Jackson. Next thing I know, my shoes is off and I ain't take them off. And Crazy Legs is running down the street on 42nd. Oh, man. I said, I said he done stole my sneakers. Next thing I know, he used the part in B Street. Damn. Coincidence? I think not. You was wrong, Crazy Legs. You stole my move. You was wrong, man. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy, yo. I can't believe it. No, I, can't actually, believe it. I can't believe it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what you we're going to do sneakers. with you, man. That, I don't know what we're going to do with you, man. We're really going to have to start getting these guys on. Seriously. Yeah. Fellas, if you're listening, please help us help that. <laughs> because he needs this in his life right now. So get in touch with us and let's get some closure. Because as you can see, y'all have affected him deeply. So help us out. That we're gonna, I'm telling you, one of these days we're going to talk about a topic that doesn't affect you personally like this, man. Shout out, shout out to Baby Love too. Shout out, I, I was in love with her. Shout out to Baby Love. 
But Crazy Legs, I still want my poems back. So Star Wars for me, man, the thing, like I said, I saw Star Wars before Wild Style. And the thing I remember the most about Star Wars was being so mesmerized by Case. Case. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He, was, he was the one that had one arm. You know what I'm saying? He he lost his right arm as a kid. He um he got electrocuted, and they had to uh, to amputate his right arm. So all he had was his left arm, and he was one of the greatest graffiti artists of all time. Rest in peace, Case Two. He died back in 2011. You know what I mean? From the Bronx, but he's the one that invented the whole camouflage style. You know, remember that? Like you would uh you write graffiti, but you would camouflage what it is that you were saying, so that only those that knew how to decipher the camouflage knew what, it is, knew what it was that you were trying to say. But he would deck out a whole train in camouflage. And they would, they would be putting these, these messages, you know what I'm saying, and, and coding them on the trains. And these trains would run from one side of the island to the other. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but I just remember being mesmerized by, by Case. One arm up there on the train, and his pieces were, were magnificent. You know what I'm saying? They were, they, they were, they were magnificent. You know? And these guys, these kids, because that's what they were at the time. I was a kid. I looked at them as grown men. But these kids, they had so much power. They had so much power. I mean, they had the whole city confused as to how they were going to deal with them. No doubt. No, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And All this wasn't, time. you know, graffiti artists. It wasn't as if, I mean, let's, let's really look at the time. We're talking 1903. We're talking six years since hip-hop, you know, first, first came out mm -hmm. with Rapper's Delight. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about from, from, the, from the explosion of Rapper's Delight to six years later, we already have a movie? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So there weren't a lot of people, you know what I mean, who were, who were on this when it first came out. Outside of, you know, New York, Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Because it was so popular there as far as the, the graffiti culture. Mm -hmm. The graffiti culture, while it existed in Pittsburgh, it wasn't nowhere near what it was over there in uh, New York and Jersey. All right, fellas, you know, I, I can't go more than 30 minutes without asking a question. What was it about the culture back then in its infancy stages? Why do you think Hollywood grabbed on like they did? Because it was right in their face. They couldn't stay away from it too much longer. But it was seen as a nuisance. It was seen as something that wasn't real. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't recognized as a culture back then. I might have been young, but I knew that much. You know what I'm saying? Even, even, even my parents. My parents was like, that's ignorant. That shit is ignorant as hell. What the hell are you guys doing? Call, call it what it is. Call it what, well, what it was to them at the time. It was vandalism. That's what everybody saw it as. Mm -hmm. Vandalism. Mm -hmm. And to me, you got people to call this dude Banksy a graffiti artist. He's not a graffiti artist. He's he's a, he's just a regular guy that does does you know stencils and stuff like that on the wall. Mm -hmm. He's not a real graffiti artist to me. He has an he has an impression in his mind of what he tries to put out, but he's not a graffiti artist to me. There's no culture with him. There's no you know there's there's nothing there that says hey you know I've been through a struggle and this is this is truly. I mean I, I don't know the person. I don't know him personally, but there's nothing there to me that I can relate to. Mm -hmm. The graffiti. It's beautiful, 10 feet tall. It's, it's love in it. It's anger, it's hate in it, it's frustration. Colorful. I, I love graffiti. Graffiti is something that I actually want to do a big painting for, uh, for my house. 
and have it in the living room just sitting there because right. graffiti is something that I fell in love with a long time ago that, that I've just stayed in love with all these years. And I don't think, it, and, and I, I, I hear what you're saying, John. I don't think it was the fact that it was in their face. I think this thing all started as pretty much college or or a a writer's documentary of urban life or urban ghetto life, and it just got away from what that person put out there. Mm -hmm. And the people realized, look, we don't have to put but maybe five, ten grand behind this, and we could probably make a lot of money by you know, getting these kids in here and, and showing their side of their opinion of what they're trying to do out in society with graffiti. Mm -hmm. I think that was pretty much it. I don't think they looked at it as, oh, it's in our face. We might as well just let them in and start selling it and doing whatever. Because even after Style Wars came out and uh, Wild Style came out, they were still looked at as hoodlums, thugs, and, and graffiti artists were vandals. Back then, we did a lot of different things a friend of mine, I'm not going to say who he is, but even though it's, it's way past that, that time he could be in trouble for it, but I remember him going into stores and we'd be in a store or whatever, and he would sit up there and rip comic book pages out of a comic because he liked the shading effect or he liked the colors on that page and he wanted to use it in another graffiti piece. Mm -hmm. So he would take it out of there and take it home and perfect that style so that he could use it. I remember when the paint markers came out, and I used to go uptown, and I had uh, I had a couple dudes with me, and, and Fats was one of them. God rest his soul, yeah. my boy Fats. He uh, he actually sat there and would watch the chick in the front of the store, or watch whoever was working in the front of the store, while I stole paint markers in mm -hmm. a pack of the store. And I had a jean jacket, or you know, jean jackets had them like kind of inside pockets. Right. I would stick. 20, 30 paint markers in my jacket pockets or whatever color I needed for that day. And we'd sit there and talk to her like we really were interested in something or buy maybe one thing and we'd leave and go walk home and I'd have all these paint markers that I didn't need to go back to the store for another two, three weeks to a month. Mm -hmm. You got to really have a passion for this. And back in the days, we had a passion for graffiti. We had a passion for for break dancing, we had a passion for hip hop, we had a passion for DJing, we had a passion for it all. And like that brother said on, on our page, people are lazy nowadays. They don't have a passion for anything. Everybody, it's this damn sense of entitlement that a lot of kids are coming up with nowadays. When they made these movies, Wild Style and, and, and Style Wars, when they made those movies, they showed that sense of passion, that, that you know, that, that love in your heart for the culture right nowadays they, they're feeding you garbage now so you get me you get me touched on that subject <laughs> well that brings up another interesting question i mean the optimist in me you know it, it, i really want to believe that, that that hollywood or like again i mean i'm not sure if this was an indie film or what but i say hollywood because it was a motion picture the optimist in me wants to believe that hollywood looked at this looked at hip-hop culture back in 83 and said, you know what, these kids are on to something. You know, let's film them, let's, let's make a movie about this and release it. But do you think that that really was the case or were they, you know, uh, poking fun at the culture by making this movie? I honestly think they were honoring the culture, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. And not honoring it from a perspective of like, 
um, uh, you know, holding it up to a high praise or anything such as that. Mm -hmm. I just think the fact that they stepped up and made the movies because they didn't have to make the movies. Right. Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm more of an optimist as well. Uh, uh, and so when I look at this and the studios and the directors, I mean, just looking at who was involved in it, it wasn't as if you had big studio names behind this stuff. Mm. So what you had was somebody who went to someone <laughs> and said, hey, look, here's this premise. We have this music over here. It's called, it's called rap music because that's what it was all called at the time. We, we didn't have the hip-hop culture. All we had was rap music. Mm. And these kids, you know what I mean, this music's making this type of money right now, and these kids might want to see a movie. You know what I mean? Movie making back then wasn't as selective as it is now. People see movies now that suck and think that the movie making process isn't selective. But back in the 80s, movie, the movie making process was even less selective. You didn't have the volume of movies that you have available today in the different forms in order to see the movies. Mm -hmm. You can see movies on your computer and phone and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, back in the day, you had to literally go to the movie theater mm -hmm. to see a movie or you had a you know, VHS player or a Betamax you know what I mean, which they were not cheap. You look at it from that perspective, you know, so someone said, okay, let's, let's throw, you know, 50, I wonder if the budget was maybe $200,000 for this entire movie. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Let's throw 200. We need a write-off anyway. <laughs> Star Wars is doing too well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Right, it's right. kind of like a guy who wins, you know, kind of like a professional gambler. Mm -hmm. He wants to lose a certain amount every year for tax purposes. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, these, these guys, yeah, we, yeah, we need a write-off. This movie ain't going to do anything. Let's throw, let's throw a little money at it. That's, you know, that's, that's somebody, that's so-and-so's third niece on his wife's second cousin's side. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, but so I mean, we'll, we'll throw something over there. How how wrong were they though? I mean, Wild Style and Style Wars—they kind of gave us the blueprint, right? It gave us the rules of how this thing was supposed to go. You know what I mean? No doubt, and and yeah. and that's the best part about it, and that's mm. and that is what lets you know that this was a fringe type of situation. Mm -hmm. Once you get to Beach Street and Crush Groove, especially Crush Groove, you know, industry was a little bit more involved in that. You know what I mean? But this, man, yeah, hire who you want to hire. We don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just tell us when the movie's finished so we know what, when we got to do the marketing budget. You know what I mean? Start releasing stuff. Right. You know, I mean, that's the type of perspective they probably had in 83 with Wild Style. It's kind of like when your mom gives you $5. Get, get, go, get, you know, just get away from me. Here's, here's $5. I don't care what you spend it on. Yeah. You know? There you go. Yeah. You know? So, so these movies were made, I don't, don't think as... I don't think they had any expectations as far as the, the you know, the, the big movie, you know, companies. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, Sony's and all that. I don't think they had any type of, we don't care. You know, I don't care what it does. Yeah. You know, but then it, like you said. It snowballed. It, it had that effect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's you know what I mean? And to put two out at the same time, please, man. Like yeah. you said, it was the blueprint, man. Right. Look at this now in 2015. I mean, how much, how much money has hip-hop culture generated worldwide? You know, it went from these little no indie, these little indie movies to small documentary into a multi-billion dollar machine, you know, which is where we're sitting at right now. Right. It's, it's why we do the podcast, because of Wild Style and Style exactly. Wars. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can't go, and I, and, and I know we should never use all, but you would be hard-pressed in the United States to watch TV for a period of, let's say... 45 minutes, mm -hmm. 45 minutes. And I'm, I'm saying non-cable, non I'm saying 45 minutes of, of 
network television without seeing hip hop. Think about that. Yeah, commercial. Think about in 1983, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. And I'm even talking about kid channels. Mm -hmm. You can turn on Disney. You can, mm -hmm. you can turn on Nickelodeon. You can turn on, you know what I mean, any, you can turn on ESPN. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That may be a bad example, but my point being, you can turn on a cooking channel. Mm -hmm. And within 45 minutes of that cooking channel, you're going to see a commercial that's going to have hip-hop in it. The theme song of any show that you hear now has a hip-hop element to it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then at the same time, what else do you have going on? You know what I mean? You figure from 1983 to now, what is that, 32 years? Yeah. In 30 years, for something that has the potential to have a limitless lifespan, mm -hmm. the first 30 years of it is looked upon as a blink of an eye. So in the essence of this art form, and in the essence of its growth pattern that is going to continue on, mm -hmm. we're still in the beginning stages. So imagine that. We started with Wild Styles in 83, and now in 2015, you have a Broadway musical that sold out for a year in advance called Alexander Hamilton. You talk about something evolving. Yeah. One of the main characters of Wild Style was Busy B. You know what I'm saying? Starsky, right? And what I wanted to say was, what do artists of today owe him? They owe him a little extra money, because didn't he win like $1,000 or something like that, and he thought he was living? Yeah. We gonna get some, we gonna get in the limo, yeah. we gonna get some of his birthday, and yeah. you know, we gonna sit up here, get the girls, go to the hotel room. I, I, I guess back then, hotel room was probably like $15, $20, but still, right, right. you know, all the way he was living off of $1,000? I was like, what? <laughs> even, back then, I, even back then, I think I was kind of like, what? A thousand dollars, but I mean, he had, but he I had mean, a pure budget. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he was on stage with Cold Crush, right? And they were just killing it for like two hours, and then they get off the stage. He's backstage with Fat Five Freddy, and he's back there with Zorro or, or Lee Quinones, and then they get into the limo and they're back in the hotel room. He never stopped performing. The way he was talking and moving and vibing with them was the same as when he was on stage. Right. And that was literally right. the right. definition. That was literally the definition that I believe it was you, John, said last episode. That's an MC right there. I mean, he he got off the stage. It was no like he, it was like he still had the mic in his face. You know what I'm saying? No sit, doubt. Sit, no sit. doubt. Yeah. I mean, so then the artists that we that we idolize. Now I'm not saying we as in you, me, and debt, but I mean the artists that we collectively idolize yeah, I, now. Right. What do they owe? MCs like Busy B. This guy right here is not defining what an MC is like we did on the last episode. He's showing you. Scooby Doo. Red Scooby, make noise and say, hey! Everybody from the boogie down Bronx say to me, say, I am. If you was born in New York City, let me say, you know that. Somebody, anybody, help me scream. Uh-huh. I rock New York City, old The way I run my game, they can't wait to see me make the hell out of me. is my name, and that's a fact, and you can't beat that with a stick or a bat. Now I walk around as sly as you be, and the MC world, there's no better than me. Man, I'm better than bold, bolder than bad, the best MC life ever had. When I came to Earth by the media ride, they didn't wanna give me a try, but they heard my voice could make your dance, so they finally, baby dog, gave me a chance. Then I rocked the house so viciously, all the girls is talking about the business. Too cold to hold because MC stand 
Southern on South, the East and West. I'm like Mickey Mouse and the son of Sam. When I shot the house, don't give a damn. When I was walking through the jungle with a stick in my hand, I'm a bad young brother from the ranch crew land. Looking tricky, who do I see? People trying to freak with me. So I done the freak and I done my best. Then all of a sudden, I had to grab my chest. I rock the ladies, I rock the sea. Everybody know the chief rocker, bitch, you beat, they dance. And don't stop, they rock to the rhythm, to the body rock, rock, get Suck a nigga, whoever you are You didn't buy my make and you didn't buy my car To take lots of heat to these words I say Got cheaper echo thing and ain't giving none away It's like that y'all, and you don't stop You keep on, keep the brand you draw And there's a place where the ranch boys go yeah. Get a little cheaper and get gusto But in order to you, come in our spot You got your own three girls in a mansion and a yacht You gotta come inside and yeah. be prescribed You gotta bet cash when to keep the game alive Then stay on your feet from nine to five Because the boys of the ranch don't take no time When you hear me talk, you can bet your last time Everything I say will be in a rock Every rhyme I say will be a delight Cause I rock and shock and party all night I rock the seat, I rock the house The most definitely, I turn turn it out Y'all, I got the qualifications to rock the bed. No limitations to my finesse. Got the modifications to alterate. I won't bite a rhyme and I won't imitate. Another MC when it's running down rhymes. Cause at the time it's just running down mine. But that's alright because I know some pain. I put it in check. You take a dress away. Because my name is known from land to land. I'm a super fly guy with the mic in my hand. My name is known from C to C. When I'm on the mic, I call my history. I'm a mystical, magical man on the mic. When I run down a rock, it will be that mic. A master plan, you see what I mean with this album. I'm an inspiration all over the nation. Young ladies in the day, I'm a disco sensation. Yes, yes, y'all, you don't stop. I mean, he might not be lyrically a Nas or whatever like that, but yo, he rocked the party for two hours with a microphone. That's it. You know, just kept going on and on and on with it. And it's like, you know, maybe right, that's maybe right. that's maybe that's what's lacking from some of these artists, they don't go back and pay homage. Now, when I say pay homage, I'm not talking about going up on stage and say, yo, you know, must respect the busy beat. I'm talking about going back and watching some of these movies and seeing how it is that they did it. You know what I mean? And seeing what it meant I feel you. to be an MC. Yeah. You know what I'm okay. saying? Mm -hmm. I feel you. Mm -hmm. I feel you. That's what, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got you on that. Mm -hmm. You know, and for that, from that perspective, I would say they don't do it enough right. because you wouldn't have a Drake today. You wouldn't have anybody today mm -hmm. if you didn't have the busy bees, if mm -hmm. you didn't have, you know what I mean, the ones who built this thing. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so they owe them everything because yeah. without it, you know what I mean? Now, you know, some some may say, well, you know, uh, John L., you may be a little wrong about that. Hip-hop would have came about in a different form at a different time. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be so, you know what I mean? And, you know, if grasshoppers had machine guns, birds wouldn't mess with them. So we can't, can't really go off if. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can talk about what is. You have to understand that you're standing on the shoulders of giants in order to see as far as your eyes can possibly see. Right. But you're standing on the shoulders of someone else. And in order to see it. One of the scenes that really stands out to me in Star Wars, you guys remember that scene up on the platform, up on the train platform with Dez, also known as DJ K-Slay? And Case 2 up there talking, and Case was talking about how he was an old head in graffiti, and he was basically turning right, it over. Right. 
turning over the dance. Right, right. And, and then they started rapping, right? Remember they, they was rapping? Remember the song that they was rapping? The song, you know what I mean? But I do remember they were going back and forth, though. Yeah, they were doing the message. You know what I mean? They were doing, you know, that uh, Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5, the message. And, uh, right, 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 right. Yo, it got me thinking. I mean, we talked about Busy B as far as I'm seeing, but we talk about Melly Mel, right? I mean, hey, how influential, how influential was Mel? You know what I mean? He was, that, the lyrics of the message, they hit hard as shit. And they still do. I mean, but let's talk for a minute. You know, just before we close out Style Wars and Wild Style, how influential was Mel? If you really, you know, sit back and think about it. Listen, I mean, Melly Mel to me, him, Grandmaster Flash, The Curious Five, the, yeah, uh, just that whole group was influential on a lot. I mean, you can't have them and not mention Africa Brambada and the Soul Sonic Force, all of them. That's that's why they put them in in different movies in the background because these dudes were history themselves. You got Melly Mel, you know the. The muscle man of rap. That brother, he was Diesel back when it wasn't, you know, it wasn't impressive to be Diesel unless you was a prisoner. <laughs> man, Mel, he was Melly Mel. Was is man. Still, is still, and, and he still rocked. I mean, he's still a Diesel cat. You know what I mean? I saw him in an interview a short time ago, man, and he was speaking on the current status of hip-hop, man, and he's not happy. All right, here we go, John. The perfect segue into Beat Street. I mean, that was a great comment you had about Mel. 1984 came out just after Wild Style, just after Style Wars, but we're still in the South Bronx. I guess my real only question about, not the only question, but you know, right up front, the question I want to ask you guys about Beat Street is, what was it about this film that endeared itself to us so much? Why did we gravitate toward this one as opposed to some of the others? I think with uh, Beat Street, it, it, was, it was a little bit more youth-oriented, that youth movement into hip-hop. So a lot of us back then were around these guys' ages. You know what I mean? A lot of us had friends who were DJs. You know, I had a couple friends of mine who were DJs in Pittsburgh. One of them, he's still a DJ. You know, kid by the name of Nick Nice. You know what I mean? And so you look at it from that perspective that the demographic of the movie fit so many people at that or so many demographics throughout the country as rap was exploding because rap at this time in 84 was what six years old yeah not even i mean he's real young right. yeah yep. right so rap is six years old and, and in the first you know we have basically two indie type movies in wild style and style wars mm -hmm. breaking came or excuse me beat beat street and breaking came out at the same time as well as breaking two but Beat Street was that first one to really just talk about how, how like, that everyday young kid was vibing with hip-hop. You right. follow what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for me, this movie definitely resonated because 1984, I was, like, what, 10 years old, 9, 10 years old? And back then, you know, back where me and Dead are from, there were two dancers in particular that were, like, leaps and bounds above all of us. I mean, they were like the best in the neighborhood. And that, you know who I'm talking about, Jay McCullough and uh, Sean McKay. I remember Jay being good at a lot of stuff. I never really saw Sean do anything. Oh, Sean could That's get down. I mean. Yeah, Sean could get down. But the rumor was, the rumor was that when this movie was cast, that Jay McCullough was considered as the part for Lee. Nah, he wasn't. He wasn't auditioned. I'll tell you that. I was with Jay just this past Saturday. He wasn't auditioned for that uh, way back when. He was. He made it to, I think, to be one of the finalists or whatever, but he wasn't considered for Lee. But he, uh, 
He made it. He was. He was. Jay was good. Yeah. Jay was one of those dudes that could windmill and doing anything you asked him to do windmilling. Mm. So he was. He was good. But uh, I don't. I don't remember whether it was Lee. You know. I don't think it was. But I know he made it pretty much pretty far. But I don't. I don't remember Sean. Sean McKay being. Yeah. Sean was dope. Sean was real dope. But I remember Jay specifically. I mean, it was legendary for us because big. You know, B Street was big time. Big time for us. I mean, we used to oh, watch. Yeah. We, we yeah, yeah, we watched that movie religiously, like every day. Knew all the words, knew all the songs, knew the story backwards and forwards. I mean, Lee was everything to us, and we all tried to emulate him, and you know him and his crew. You know what I'm saying? And then you know, obviously, we've all seen the movie. You know, the part when you know Raymond stepped on the third rail and died, along with you know the bomber spit. I mean, we were devastated. That was traumatizing to us, man. But that was the lifestyle. That was. That was that was what they had to deal with back then. Living living in a uh, rundown. See, that was the South Bronx too. South Bronx was hell ridden area. Not saying it was disgusting to live there, but yeah, I mean you got to call it what it was. It was a ghetto. It was the hood. It looked like Beirut on right. some blocks because you had right. you had uh, uh, their landlords torching the buildings or just walking away from the buildings and destroying them. And the Bronx used to be a nice, you know, it was a nice area way back in the 60s, early 60s and stuff like that. It, it was supposed to be a nice area. Mm-hmm. Now you got, you know, not now, but then you've had it move forward to the Beach Street time and it just looked like, like I said, like Beirut, like two hells and a half of Harlem. It was, it was, <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. But it was the creation of a culture of movement. And that's where it came from. You know, it came from the Bronx. Right. Yo, Melly Mel's from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you. I mean, his his uh, his brother, Kid Creole, all of them that was down with the Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five. Most of them dudes was from that area. Mm-hmm. So it was the Bronx. Where's um? Matter of fact, where's Africa Bambada and the Soul Sonic Force from? South Bronx. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Now you're talking Africa Bambada Soul Sonic Force. Right. Yeah. So again, another legendary official group that you know that started way back when from the Bronx. Right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Now let me let me hit you, let me hit you with the 360. Scott, your your question, leading question was what? Why did this movie resonate with everyone so well? The fact that it was set in the Bronx, I mean Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was true. It was exactly. it was it was quote unquote it was right authentic, right? It was quote unquote authentic. You know what I mean? But um I was just gonna say that's that's why your point is so relevant as uh-huh. to why, you know, because you're asking that question because it because you're right. Uh-huh. Beach Street did resonate with everyone. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, why? You know, you asked that very poignant question, and the reason being because that's where hip hop started. Yeah. That's why everybody gravitated towards because everyone who were hip hop heads knew hip hop started right there in the Bronx just for the very artists that you guys just ran off. Oh, I got you. So, and, yeah, and, and they had better actors than Breaking. This <laughs> 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 Breaking studio, it truly sucked with the acting, man. Oh my God. That was worth, that was as bad as a seventies porno. <laughs> that acting sucked. Oh, no. <laughs> what was that, John? The opinions and thoughts of, uh, of, of some of the hosts don't definitely jive with the thoughts and opinions of the show. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> but Jay, he's right. I mean, the acting on this was definitely a lot more believable. I mean, number one, I mean, as kids, we related to this film. You know, but as, yeah. you know, me sitting here as an adult, I mean, for me, the big question is, and I keep going back to this, and I know you guys are sick of hearing me ask this question, why 
and how did Hollywood, you know, get the green light to do this? I mean, what was it about the hip? I mean, hip hop culture, like John said, was in its infancy stage. You know, what was it about it that they saw it as something that they could make money off of? Why did they choose it? Why did they choose this film and this script to make this story? What was it about it? Well, I'll give you a different view. Because they had the backing of the original Acceptable Negro. And that was Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte bought it out there. And he was the one that put Beach Street into the forefront to have these people, him and a dude, uh, Michael Holman, they put it out there to have, uh, to have this, this movie, you know, brought to the forefront to show you the breaking culture where it originally started at was in the South Bronx. The life that we lived, the lifestyle that we lived, you know, and the breaking, the b-boying, the scratching, the, the trying to make it in, you know, in the hip-hop industry, all that stuff was put out there by Beach Street and Harry Belafonte. And I, I didn't call him a sellout or, or Uncle Tom or anything, so I don't want anybody to get that misconstrued. I said he was the original acceptable Negro because I've seen the black and white uh, movies that Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier played in way back when, when it was only black and white movies, and they were considered acceptable black people to be seen on TV or in the movies. So that's why it was a non-threatening black man that put it out there and said, listen, we can sit up there and put this out there and show what life was like or life is like for these guys that come from the streets and are just supporting a culture, a movement that are coming, that is showing through the world. And it may take off, it may not, but this is the life they live in right now that culture was expanding. It was spreading like wildfires. So why not grab a hold of some of that and spread it on your skin and your face and see if it could work for you? And they did it, and yeah. it worked. I'm glad he did. I'm glad it was important to Harry Belafonte because he made it important to us, you know what I mean, more important than we ever thought we knew. And, Dad, I think you'll appreciate this little bit of trivia. Do you know who the director was of B Street? Mm. You'll appreciate this one. No, I do. I do. Tell them, yeah. who is it, John? I'll give him a couple moments to think about it. You, Wasn't uh, it cool, Herb? Nah, the director uh, was good. Stan? Stan, Stan Lathan. Stan Lathan. Yeah. Def Comedy. Stan Lathan is, he has directed everything black in history, I think. <laughs> Stan Lathan <laughs> is in everything. Jesus. He did the he did he did the the uh, the Sanford and Son episodes. He did a lot of stuff, man. So Stan Latham is he's been in a lot of stuff, comedy shows all over the place. Yeah, Def Comedy Jam, and he gave us the princess Sanaa Latham. That's his daughter. Are you kidding me? No, that's his daughter. Oh wow, if, I never knew that. Yeah, if you go back and watch some of the old episodes of Def Comedy Jam back when Martin uh, was hosting, you would see Sanaa. She was in all the shows up there in the balcony. Now, hold on. I'm going to tell Scott something. <laughs> so, you don't talk about her in that deep voice. <laughs> you talk about Sonata Lathan, you say it in a high voice. Wow. You, know, you sounded a little you sounded a little too music soul child when you said that right there. <laughs> nah, you don't disrespect my Ebony Queen like that. Mm -mm, no, no. All right, fellas. It's a wrap. You guys good with this? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so let's close it out. Melly Mel, B Street, here we go.
Now, as we leave you guys on this date, I like to always leave the show with a positive note. So, let me say this. Being positive won't guarantee you'll succeed, but being negative will guarantee you won't. So, think about that as you go on with your day. Don't be negative, because you know what? Negative gets you nowhere. Just like they say, when you step into a room, or somebody steps into the room with nothing but negativity, it sucks the oxygen out of the room. You feel unsuccessful at that point. So go about your day being happy. Go about your day feeling like you'll succeed. And trust me, you'll be just that step further or closer to what you want to get accomplished. Now, as for my shout-outs, I'd like to say a thank you to one of the uh, greatest MTV alumni, my man Matt Penfield. We had a good time hanging out this weekend together. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me some tips. And also, thank you for saying that you're a fan of the show. You'll be listening always. And just an all-around great guy. So that's some of the things I could do, you know, a few things I could actually say about this guy. Also, I want to send a shout-out to all of our listeners. So far, you guys are making us one of the hottest podcast shows out right now. And I want to say, hit me up on the inbox on uh, on the podcast show that at thelightpodcast.com. Hit me up on Twitter, at Hostile Comedy. Hit me up on Facebook. Hit, I got the Hostile Comedy page on Facebook. That'll give you all the places where I'm going to be at and doing jokes. And just say hello. We got uh, jokes for you still coming and a big show coming still. Peace. All right, listen, guys. I'd like to give a quick shout-out to uh, a lot of people who help me do what I do. Um, one is to my man in Pittsburgh. His name's TJ. He's been around the radio scene forever. He's known as TJ the DJ. He just did a. Uh, he just released a, a nice independent movie in Pittsburgh uh, by the name of uh, Presumption. And uh, if you're in and around the Pittsburgh area, I know for a fact. If you didn't see the movie, you probably heard about it to a certain degree. And I know for a fact that you know who TJ is. So just want to give him out some love right now because uh, he's been helping us or helping me navigate this whole podcast thing because this is all new to us and it's fun. And we're getting a lot of response from the social media crowd and everyone's loving what we're doing. The, the, the uh, light Facebook page is going crazy. Um, we're, you know, Scott and I and Dead are on there, so please keep that communication going because we definitely appreciate that. And the number one piece of advice he gave me, Scott... It's just stay, he just said, stay true to what you guys are doing now. Just stay true to the art form. Right. So that's what, so we're definitely going to keep bringing it hard. Um, also, you know, so just want to say thank you to him. Also want to give a quick shout out to my girl up upstate New York, Kalia Clark. You know, who's styling who? I was in the Marine Corps with her brother, great, great guy. And uh, she, I don't know if I told you, Scott, but she works with uh, T.I.'s wife, Tiny. She styles her often. Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. She's also known as uh, hashtag the product placement queen. <laughs> you can uh, find her at KC the Connect. And you can also find her at Who's Styling Who. And uh, hashtag award-winning fashion style. 
And that's style with an eye because she got a lot of style. She's individualistic with it. You know what I'm saying? She keeps it moving. She keeps it going for a lot of the uh, people in the hip-hop community. So, you know, it's we're all involved in hip-hop in our own ways. And I just want to show thanks to those who are doing it on a, uh, you know, not so big level as everyone else, but are still doing it and being a part of it. So shout out to those guys. Gotcha. I'm going to keep this short. Um, first and foremost, um, I like to, you know, shout out hiphopgoldenage.com or HHGA. I mean, Sites and those guys over there are doing it big. They launched their website a few months ago and it's gotten a huge response from the hip-hop community. But um, more importantly to us, you know, HHGA has gone out, you know, above and beyond showing their support for the podcast, you know, advertising and sharing our show. I mean, it's just been a huge boost for us and we definitely appreciate it. Um, I'd also like to shout out my man Russell out in Texas, you know, a good friend of mine. And, um, yeah, I'd just like to take this time to shout him out. You know, we've been good friends for a long time, and um, I definitely miss hanging out with him, my man. Um, and last and definitely not least, the listeners of the show. Like John and Det said, I mean, the response on the Facebook page has been nothing short of overwhelming. I mean, you guys show up big week in and week out. You know, and uh, one thing I can say to that, I definitely appreciate. There's no haters on the site. There are people that share the same passion for, for, for hip-hop that we do. And it definitely shows we enjoy the discussion. And believe it or not, it actually drives a lot of the discussion that John Denton and I have on the show. So keep that going, definitely. We appreciate you. And that's the reason why we got to get tougher To learn from the past and work for the future And don't be a slave to no computer Cause the children of man inherits the land And the future of the world is in you